it's been the only way I know is you have to align your compensation strategy to your talent strategy and your talent strategy is aligned to your business strategy and your business strategy is going to have, you know, those areas of indexing as to what's important to them. When you're managing 70% of the cost of, of the company, you are going to get squeezed and figuring out how can you be more efficient? What's the ROI on these different levers that you have? And you're always justifying. And of course, a good CFO is always going to be asking you to justify. Welcome back to the HR Heretics podcast, where we get into the real talk of company construction. These are the conversations that happen between founders, chief people officers, and board members behind closed doors. We're heretics in this industry because there's a culture of silence around important business topics, especially as it relates to people. But on the show, we tell the truth and expect the same from our guests. Today's episode is with Jen Trespass, also known as JT. So I've known JT Nolan since, since I started at Yahoo, which was, I think, 2006 or 2007. And she was just kind of known as a badass. Um, I started off on the sales side and the HR group in a different building. And JT's reputation kind of preceded her to the point where I was kind of like intimidated. You know, I was 30 years old. I was trying to figure it out. And she's just had this awesome reputation, just business oriented, just just a, a boss. And yeah. then she went over to EA onto Salesforce, and then had stints at Living Social, Lithium Technologies, Rocket Fuel. And these were not easy gigs. I mean, she's lived through the best and the grind of it. She then went to Wildcat Ventures as an operating partner. And now she's back in the operating seat at Symphony AI for the past two years. And it was yep. just so great to connect with her and talk about her journey. Yeah, it's. I'm going to try not to make a joke about you working at Yahoo in 2006. But beyond that, <laughs> I found JT to be super real and just like a, a, a total badass. Like that's the best way yes. I can describe JT and why our audience is going to love listening to her. I loved her takes on people ops. And I also loved her takes specifically on why chief people officers would make great CEOs. Yeah, she's just she has such a great vibe and she can just lean into hard stuff and also have a great outlook attitude about it all. She's someone you actually want to work with and talk with. Second of all, I'd love to hear about Yahoo in 2006. You know, there's a lot of us that still bleed purple, Nolan, forever. So you better, wa you better watch out. You better watch <laughs> out with that one. To open JT, like I know a few of you guys and like I can poke and prod because of the relationship. Uh, but I mean, it's still Yahoo. Like it's anyway. AOL, Shmayowell. Yahoo's the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always will yeah, be. So Yahoo. If you, if take you have it easy. a Yahoo email address, by the way, it's thought of as a negative six. So like Great. get a Gmail. Anyway, the new JT, green circle, the new green I, circle. I, I was thinking it, you said it. Okay, so put that on Kelly, everybody. Ultimately, like you, you're exactly right. Not only is she able to get into the real stuff, she's able to do it with this affability, this like very approachable personality. Like we were cracking jokes the whole time. And it seems that she has that relationship with her current executive team because Apparently, her CFO was like walking across yeah. her office, like yeah. making faces at her while she was on the podcast, knowing that totally. she was on the podcast. Totally. I think that says a lot about who she is yeah. and the types of people that she works with. And then like six minutes later, just to stick with the six motif here, she was like, oh, my legal officer's walking by and making a face in the window. It's great. <laughs> she's, so she's fantastic. It's so good. So you guys are going to love this episode. 
Uh, please like, share, subscribe, share with your friends and enemies. And without further ado, here's JT. JT, thank you so much for being with us today. We're so excited to dig in. Prod, poke, pull you. Here's some good opinions. Here's some good stories. And just have some real talk around this role. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So uh, JT, I want to dive in on mistakes. Kelly and I have oh, made a lot. we're going there already. We're going there. Okay. Right off the That's bat. Cool. We, no. promised, we promised our listeners. Okay. We made a lot. That's what they want to know. So let's talk about your biggest fuck ups or, you know, the ones that like you've been a part of on the inside and things that have gone wrong that you've learned from. This is the podcast that I wanted to listen to at 28 when I started. I wish I had this podcast when I was younger, for sure. Uh, and I was going, oh my God, I had mess ups or fuck ups, uh, um, at every company, <laughs> like there's always a new one. Um, but the biggest one though, that is always going to be mem memorable for me is when I, uh, was working on the employee merit file and you know where this is going, right? And, uh, I wanted to send it to the executive team in Cambridge and it said Cambridge executives. And instead I sent it to Cambridge everyone. And so everybody got the merit file of all the increases for the entire company. Uh, and it was not password protected. And at that time, password protection, this is a while ago because I am dating myself a little And that, you know, when you type in something, uh, you know, you had to type in uh, it like it does populate, but it, it was not that clear that, oh, you need to send it to executives like you didn't have selection. So anyway, I sent it to everybody. I then realized mistake, my mistake and was like, oh, no. Uh oh. Uh, so I reached out to my boss and I let her know. And uh, said, I will, I understand if you need to terminate me. And uh, I, I to totally, totally take responsibility for this careless error of not paying attention. And she said, well, um, we were thinking about being more transparent on things. You have definitely gone to the extreme. Uh, and we're going to have to own this. And uh, we will, you're going to need to talk to the leaders and, and own this one. So I called a leadership meeting to apologize. And, uh, but then also talked about how this is a, a great opportunity to really talk to people about um, equity and their value and decisions and how the decisions were made and creating more of an opportunity to share how things get decided upon. Uh, it, it, they were not happy, of course, um, with it, with that, but they were forgiving. Uh, and everybody makes mistakes, right? Um, and it was an innocent mistake, but it was a big oopsie, right? And um, I didn't get terminated. I will never ever send a file again without a password protected and double checking, and you know, and all that kind of stuff. Because you always have that one time where you do that. Um, and then, uh, you, you, you'll learn from that. And I've had something happen recently with one of my employees and I was like, oh, I went, I was there when I was your age and did that. Um, <laughs> JT, were, were these the infamous, uh, merit files of Yahoo with the spawning and the spawning? And by the time you were done, you had 50 files from one, couldn't get them back together. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and you didn't have a good system and, you know, so tech has really helped with that too, where you have an application now that you can do all the distribution of all that stuff. So yeah, it wasn't at Yahoo, uh, but it was, uh, it was a close second. Um, I'll, I'll just say that. Uh, and I just remember those, right? Oh yeah. Being so young and my hands were like shaky and you're pressing the button and you're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to press the button. It's terrifying. It, it is terrifying. And, and you are always double checking. And I always remember even when I have to send a an email that could be a little contentious and everything, I'm like, okay, I got to read over this again and read over it again because it's going to get forwarded. Someone's going to interpret it. We're, you know, if it went into a lawyer's hands at some point in time, what does that? How does that look? How, so you're always being really mindful of all the things that you got to send out, in particular from HR, because uh, it's usually sensitive information. I have legit email anxiety, and that is like I think you just actually increased my email anxiety, unfortunately, um, after that story. That is crazy. It also, though, sounds like you spun it incredibly well. Like that's, that's like marketing, uh, to the extreme. And so like, were you, were you, did the company go more transparent with comp after that mistake? They did. They did, but not to the degree that I, um, you know, initiated. Uh, but there was a lot more transparency. There was a lot more training. I, you know, I have to, I have to give my manager credit because uh, that put her in a, a situation where she had to reveal that to um, the uh, the board and uh, and all that kind of stuff as well. And we luckily we were only in U.S., so we didn't have and we didn't have GDPR at the time, and you don't have to report things relative to oh we just had a security breach or a data breach on your private information and all that good stuff. So I, I think I was lucky. Um, today, you know, the, the, the ramifications can be a lot more um, impactful and uh, uh, there's a lot of legalese and compliance related stuff now that, uh, especially on a global team that you didn't have before. But marketing is really important. Transparency is really important. Um, you know, uh, I think that uh, you got to just look at the positive intent behind it uh, and, and kind of make lemonade out of lemons. I mean, the irony is you through, you know, an error accelerated what is actually table stakes and it is expected today around transparency. It is. It wasn't expected then. So it was a little bit ahead of its time. Um, maybe on the sales side, it would be something that you would be more transparent around because of the sales comp and leaderboards and things of that nature, but not for an engineering centric organization uh, that was, uh, yeah, that was a bit of a no-no, but, um, I, I have a tendency, tendency to step into these things where transparency starts to become more, uh, or directness becomes more of, um, uh, a topic because of my mistake. Um, so it's not intended, but I had this other example where I was at living social, uh, and, um, uh, we, um, had a, um, a, a software that we purchased. Um, our average age was 24. We had 3,000 employees on a global basis. And I purchased a piece of tech that was badging. And badging was a new thing. Um, and it was for, um, you know, peer-to-peer -peer recognition. And we got, uh, there was an undercurrent of badging that was going on in the company that was um, 
let's just say provocative badging that people could potentially get. Now, when you're 24 years old, um, you know, your place to meet people is at work. And so there was a kind of like a dating thing. Um, I'm probably going to get this beeped out, but there was a bejazzle badge. There was the, you know, how many can you, you know, execs can you do kind of thing. Like it was, and I had no idea. I was clueless. I was like, oh, we got so much engagement and bragging about all these uh, engagement metrics on this badging system. And then everyone's like, you do know what's going on. And in the, I was like, Oh my God, I didn't even know what some of these badges meant. Um, uh, so, um, uh, yeah, that got surfaced. And, um, one is that, um, uh, for the transparency piece was that I was glad that somebody actually gave me the heads up that this was going on. Uh, but it was more of the embracing like that they were not only embracing work, but they were embracing having fun and poking at each other. Granted, it was maybe a little sexual in nature that we, you know, it's, there's an appropriate inappropriateness here, but that we were able to have a dialogue around um, helping people be more mature and professional as 24 year olds who are just recently out of school and that this is not school anymore. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, creating programs around professionalism, maturity, code of conduct, and not code of conduct of like the legal side, just more of the human side um, about respectful workplace and all that kind of stuff that uh, kind of transpired from that little snafu. Versus being punitive, which you you guys could have been punitive. You could have fired people for that. And I love the approach of like, let's, let's help these people versus firing them. And I, I think so many people lean into the, oh, we need to terminate somebody versus actually, could this be a learning opportunity for them and the rest of the company? It's so funny too. I mean, that that reputation probably stuck with them, right? They're 24 years old. This might be their first experience with HR. When they're 44, they might have a great impression only because of that 20 years prior. Yeah. You know what, Kelly? That's yeah, I think that's a that's great. And I still get pings from a lot of those employees. Um, and, uh, uh, just about, uh, Hey, we're now hiring a head of HR. Are you interested? <laughs> you got a thing, uh, like that. So there is some lasting memory around that. Yeah. These, these reputations, they, they stick with you, especially if you kind of run in the same circles. I think half of my advising gigs the past eight years have been former baby employees, you know, 20 years prior. <laughs> like, I remember working with you. Can you help us? Cause you're the only HR person we could stomach. Right. So it's a big deal. It is. I, you know, I didn't think of it that way, the ripple effect that you have um, in, uh, but it does come back uh, and Hey, um, it was, I think for employees, especially um, in venture uh, and in technology, um, there isn't uh, you know, there's, there's a, there's mixed reviews on human resources and its effectiveness and the impact that it has. And uh, so to make that difference, I think, is, is helpful because then it feeds and fuels into the, the, the ecosystem eventually. JT, you had mentioned transparency around comp. And I'm actually curious how you're thinking around comp transparency today at Symphony. We post uh, the zero to 999,000 <laughs> for <our> transparency. <laughs> All right. I had to say that because that's what everybody's doing right now uh, around that. Um, 
I think what, what we're doing is creating more transparency around our methodology, uh, around our compensation approach to things, uh, around our uh, composite or cohort that we're, we're uh, measuring ourselves against, um, around our philosophy on 50th percentile, 65th percentile, top talent. Uh, so we're creating more transparency around the process, the methodologies, the data sources, uh, in order to educate managers and employees. Um, we are not to the extent of publishing salaries or sending out merit files, uh, the JT way. Um, but, uh, um, we're also creating transparency with compensation statements, um, that can help with people understanding what their full compensation package is for themselves, uh, and, and get more educated around that. So that's been our approach. Uh, you know, and in particular, we have to be careful because we are a very heavy European organization that GDPR is a big component of that, that we have to be uh, compliant and mindful of. Totally. It seems like comp is a work in progress everywhere. Like, where do you want to be as it relates to comp? Like everyone's, everyone's always like working on it. Like, where do you want to be end state with comp? I don't want to be talking about it anymore. <laughs> that's the end state, like where that's not what we're talking about. Um, and it is, of course, obviously the biggest piece on the P&L. Your headcount is, especially in tech, then there's your benefits. That is uh, a big piece of it. Your equity comp is a big piece of that. So from a financial perspective, uh, we have to be mindful and deliberate and diligent and strategic with all of these um, triggers and levers uh, that make up probably 70% of, of um, your, your P&L. Uh, so it is extremely important to have a really good handle around. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's one where I really just want it to go away. And when it goes away, you can focus on other things. But when people are not feeling valued, you know, that's when all the chatter and the you know, the complaints are coming and all that kind of stuff. And I, I wish there was a way we could make it all go away. That's called like being really rich and not having to worry about any uh, shareholders or, you know, your next earnings call and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, that's the ideal world. But uh, I think that if we're able to get them to feel valued in other ways, then the chatter stops around the comp. Um, and so, you know, focusing on some of those things around your purpose, your relationship, uh, your flexibility, the things that are important to an individual employee, um, figuring out those levers and focusing on on those outside of the comp piece can help with, you know, stopping that chatter. And being transparent and just about where you guys do pay. And, you know, are you guys, are you talking to candidates about that in the interview process and being clear with candidates about where you pay from a percentile standpoint? 
Um, you know, I'm not sure if our, our recruiting team goes to that degree of transparency. Um, I do know that when people get into the organization, we do pay. Uh, we do share that type of information. Just to be transparent, we're at the 50th percentile when it comes to positions that are GNA oriented. We pay at the 65th percentile for those positions that are um, uh, of strategic nature to us. Uh, and that's more around our product. And we'll pay at the 70th percentile for AI-oriented folks. Um, and then at the sales level, we're going to pay at the 50th for certain things, but we're going to pay top dollar on the sales commission side. So that, and that's what triggers them to, you know, do good work is, is that they have, they can make money off their sales comp plan. So it's, it just depends on, on, um, you know, your strategy and what you're valuing and, um, and then what you can afford. Hey, everyone. We'll be right back in a moment after a word from our sponsors. Hey, everybody. Your co-host Nolan here. High performance and great culture should never be at odds. They're better together. With Lattice People Management Platform, companies efficiently run people programs that create enviable cultures where employees want to do their best work. Serving thousands of customers of all sizes globally, Lattice helps everyone work better together. Learn why companies from Slack to the LA Dodgers choose Lattice. Visit Lattice.com slash HR Heretics today. That's Lattice, L-A-T-T-I-C-E dot com. Have you ever had a negative experience hiring an executive? I certainly did at Carta and DoorDash, and that's why I started Continuum, the modern AI-powered executive search firm. Continuum connects executives and senior operators to venture-backed tech companies for fractional and full-time roles. You could post any executive-level role to Continuum's marketplace and search through our database of world-class experienced leaders. Continuum will intelligently surface your opportunity to relevant operators, they'll express interest, and show up in your inbox. It's like magic. There's no platform fee or hidden cost. You only pay the person you hire, and you can cancel at any time. If you're thinking about hiring an exec in the middle of a search right now or don't know how to solve a problem, I get it. Scaling is hard. Companies like Athletic Greens, Weights and Biases, Masari, and more than 100 other tech companies have turned to Continuum for help solving their people ops, go-to-market, engineering, and finance challenges. So check out Continuum in the description below. Ping me on LinkedIn if you have any questions or head to joincontinuum.com. JT, a kind of a spicy question on that. Just having lived in the seat the last, you know, two and a half years and driven a lot of change with comp, it's it's arguably easier to do that in a great market, right? Money is flowing, and our seats are kind of in the intersection between the shareholders, the comp committee, right, the board, the employees. Have you felt squeezed and a little bit tight as far as in this market? How have you handled that? Yeah, I mean, that's when you have to make hard trade offs. And you have to understand, like, what is our real competitive differentiation? And we got to make sure we have the best talent for that. And, uh, and it, it, it really, for us, it all starts with products. So our product and engineering talent is, um, is, is by far the value creation of this company. And, and therefore, we're always going to fight for that. And, uh, and then we have to be creative with the, all the others. 
um, when you have to make those hard trade-offs. So yes, but I'm always feeling pinched. If it's not on the comp philosophy around the base and bonus, it's about benefits uh, or it is about the equity. Um, uh, so the, you again, you're, when you're managing 70% of the cost of, of the company, you are going to get squeezed and figuring out how can you be more efficient? What's the ROI on these different levers that you have? And um, you're always justifying. And of course, a good CFO is always going to be asking you to justify. Uh, so yeah, that's, I think that's actually business as usual. It's not actually spicy. You've got to tolerate that and you need to have confidence and comfort in, in always leading through, you know, figuring out what's best. And the other thing is finding out from the employees, like what is more important to you? Because <laughs> I'm going to have to advocate and fight for some of these things and I need to know what those things are. Yep, totally. I love the courage to not do the peanut butter approach to say we pay at 60th percentile across the entire company. And I love the indexing on the value creators being the top of the food chain as it relates to how much we pay. I actually don't think many companies do that. And I, I, I'm curious, have you been doing that for a while or is that is that a new uh, practice that you've instituted? Uh, uh, it's been the only way I know is you have to align your compensation strategy to your talent strategy and your talent strategy is aligned to your business strategy and your business strategy um, is going to have, you know, those areas of indexing as to what's important to them. Uh, and, it, you know, it can even get to a point of, uh, you know, you, it, like at Venture, at Inventure, you know, we would say, okay, where do we spend our time? Well, we spend our time where we have our biggest investment because that's going to get us the high, highest ROI. Uh, and, you know, even so the ones that were at 1% ownership, um, they, they got the guidebook. They didn't get the personal attention. So you do have to prioritize um you, just just the way I've known is you just got to prioritize based on what the strategy is and the focus is for the company. There is nuance and that's okay. There is. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You have argued that people leaders are great candidates to become CEOs in the future. And that's not a very popular narrative in tech. <laughs> We're seen as soft and the function rarely gets credit for you know stuff that GMs get credit for. Can you take us through that argument and why you feel like people leaders should be CEOs? Oh, yeah, I feel very strongly about that one. Um, well, you know, as you know, it all starts with uh, if you uh, we have a funnel that we have to manage to attract people into the organization uh, and we have to create an employment brand. So there's being the CMO, there is being the chief revenue officer and that we have to manage our funnel and uh, do conversion of, of folks that we're interested in in bringing into the organization. And then once they become an employee, you're now the chief customer success officer where you need to seed and grow that individual or that account into something that is blossoming and is uh, utilizing that that is being utilized and is utilizing all of that's at their disposal. And so there is also, so the chief customer officer is another thing. And then you've got your chief technology officer and you have a tech stack that you have to manage and you make your own technical decisions and you're spending millions of dollars on technology. So you, you have to 
deal with, um, you know, that managing that tech stack and, and the delivery to your customer base, which by the way, you need to have consumerism in the workplace, uh, for an employee experience. So all of these apps need to be just like this and, you know, available on your mobile phone and uh, that you can click on the app and get everything that you need. And now we have chat GPT as well. So you need to have Gen AI into your platform of like, now I just need to type into my intranet. What's my dental coverage? And this is, hi, Jason. You know, your dental coverage is Guardian and you have blah, 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 blah. Uh, and so, you know, really thinking through strategically as to that employee experience. And then, as I mentioned before, the um, 70% of a technology company's budget is based on the decisions and the design that I'm making around our compensation philosophy and our, our benefits discussions that we're having on a global basis and selecting those vendors and what benefits we have to offer and our equity design. Um, and so those that like, who, why would you not want to pick somebody else but the head of HR? Uh, and now you do need to have some skills beyond just like, you know, saying, oh, that's transferable. Um, like there's strong business acumen that you need to have as well. And, and truly understanding, um, uh, the space that you're in or the vertical you're in or that industry that you're in, uh, to, you know, understand that whole entire ecosystem. But who would know all of those things better than the head of HR? I think it's uh, a so, great point. I, I, where do you think we are on that journey, JT? Because oh. straight up, I don't see a lot of them. And nope, I'm wondering not happening. <laughs> why, why aren't why and maybe said differently, why aren't there more chief people officers that haven't converted to CEOs? I wish I could answer that. I mean, I I it's 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 a legacy, right? Um it's it's a undercurrent. Um it's uh, uh, just a philosophy of, of human resources that, um, it's, it's like a, just a brand that's out there, uh, that I think is really holding it back. You know, when I talk to, um, executives, venture folks, they're like, not for you, JT, but for everybody else. Right. You know, and it's like, no, everybody else is actually capable of doing these things. Um, but there is definitely, um, I guess a, a tarnished um, a, assumption around human resources. And I was actually interviewing a candidate for a, a very senior position. And I was talking to them about how um, his strategy I felt was um, it was very services oriented, which is fine for value creation and growth, but I mean, fine for growth, but not for value creation because multiples on um, uh, the value would be lower because services revenue is not as valued as, as software revenue. I mean, this is basic one-on-one stuff that, uh, you know, HR folks should know. Um, but he's like, uh, I've never had a conversation like this with a head of a HR. I thought you were, we we're going to just talk about the benefits and, you know, what kind of parties you plan kind of thing. So it's like, oh, you know, just another one who's gone through their entire career, thinking of HR in that way. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's one. I don't, I don't know how that to break that. I would just like to see HR people more get onto boards, uh, and be selected for board positions. And I do see that a little bit more frequently, but maybe that's an easier place to start. Then they get exposure there and then they can be considered for CEOs down the line. Um, but yeah, it's a, a 
I truly believe in it. And I definitely know COO can hands down, we can nail that. Um, CEO, there is a component about strategy about thinking big, about understanding your market, understanding your moat, your competitive set and all that kind of stuff. So there is strong business acumen that you really do need to have as a CEO. But some of that is about surrounding yourself with the right talent that has all that expertise. And all you have to do is ask the right questions. You don't have to have all the right answers. Um, there's other people you can surround yourself with um, to, to have those. And that's what I've seen great CEOs do. Um, and so I, I think HR is, is well-equipped to uh, handle that. Now, I'm not going to say every HR person, but definitely uh, there's a subset that are quite capable. And JT, if I know you well, you're expecting your, your people leadership team to be of that mold. What, what are you doing? What, what advice would you give even to founders? And, you know, how, how do you make them? I think that... Um, there has to be a willingness to learn, um, a willingness to fail, a willingness to be curious, um, and I would say don't put people first. And I hate saying that, but, like, don't, like, put the – business first, which has people in it. Okay. And, and that is a little bit hard for HR people to do because they index right immediately to the people. Um, and I get there eventually, but I always start with the business and, uh, and then talk about the consequences that that has for the people. It's such a, contrarian thing to say, but it is a hundred percent true that if the business isn't working, then we can't actually take care of the people yet. I never hear it. And I'm curious as to why that is. You know, you're asking these hard questions because this is the only way I know. I like, you have to start there, right? Like where else do you start? Um, you know, JT, remember remember when the chief people officer or Nolan job description, the first sentence always used to be, this person owns our culture, right? This person, this person owns our feelings. I think that we have created an expectation, to your point, and a mindset that, that that's what this job is. And it's kind of shifted under our noses very quickly. And I'm not sure we're catching up fast enough. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, Kelly. I think, um, uh, yeah, I was just, it, what went through my head is, oh, yeah, and we're the chief medical officer during COVID, you know, and we're the chief culture officer. Um, and I, 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 when I see those, I'm like, oh, you know, no, everyone's responsible for the culture. Everyone is responsible for that. We're going through a, an, a return to office, an R2O uh, initiative. And, and, and I started out saying, this is not an HR initiative. This is actually leadership that is enabled to make the decisions in regards to the things we're expecting from you. This is all you. It's not me. It's not HR. It's not any, like, you are the ones who are going to create the tone. You're going to set the level of accountability. You're going to be the ones who can make the decisions uh, around this program. You own this, not me. I am just enabling this uh, and helping through that. So, uh, but you have to be so deliberate with not taking it on yourself. 
because you always get put back in the box. And, and you know, even Sanjay, was our CEO, was saying, JT, this is yours. I'm like, nope, not mine. Not mine. This is the whole entire company. Ours. This is a business thing. This is, yeah, exactly. Nolan, it's ours. But you have to remind them. So I view us as personal trainers. Like we have to help them build their muscle um, and build their 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 rhythm, build their um, their style and their form. And, and then you need to let them do their thing, but you got to come back in every once in a while to remind them like, Hey, you know, your form's off. And I think about that with like Tom Brady, New England Patriot, uh, you know, superstar that is, I'm not even going to mention Tampa Bay, go Boston. Um, but like Tom, he is the, like the most elite athlete and still every, every day he sought coaching and trying to fine tune and perfect his his craft, and that's what we it, like. We need to encourage that with our leaders and employees. Is that it's not a bad thing to ask for help or to get the training and to get the support to fine tune your craft. Even if you're at the top of your game, you still need um, that that assistance and that that help. Uh, and so that's what. Um, that's where some of this heart stuff comes into and in the nurturing piece. And that's when I get the gloss overs from a lot of the CEOs are like, oh, she's talking like human stuff, cannot compute. I need to get back to my financials and EBITDA, EBITDA, EBITDA and revenue, revenue. Um, this is too human for us. Um, uh, but it, humans are messy. Humans are what's uh, creating the value in the company and humans are creating the zeros and ones that are making you money. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta tolerate some of it. They, they are handcuffed together for sure. They are. That's for sure. Yep. How, how do you think about community? And the CPO job is a very lonely place. Some people have said it's the worst, best job in tech. How do you think about building your community and who are the people that you lean on? I lean on um, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, <laughs> I'm a bourbon person myself. Oh, I like bourbon too. Yes, and. <laughs> um, so I have to say I'm not good at this. Uh, I wish that I leaned on my community more. There, um, and, But when I have, they have been so amazing. Uh and that's the power of the network is, you know, Kelly, when we were talking earlier about somebody that you, you know, worked with 20 years ago and all of a sudden they're reaching out to you. Well, like there's times where I need to reach out to somebody and they're like, oh, my God, I remember you. Of course, I'll help you. Uh, that's the good human nature in all of us, I think, is that we we do want to help people that we have relationships with or respect. Um, the CPO role is definitely lonely uh, for sure. Uh, and, um, I'm glad I have a husband that is very, uh, receptive to hearing my stories and all that good stuff. And sometimes he comes up and is like, Oh, so tell me what went on this week. You know, I'm interested in hearing more. We do that at my house <laughs> oh, too. Yeah. 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 So we, we have some fun there. I think that, um, the network, uh, is one where, um, 
we help each other, but there are also, you know, there's also like this like competition in some ways. And I hate to say it, like you want to help, but like, you're like, all right, well, what are you doing? And, uh, like, is that good? Oh, that's good for you. Like, oh shit. I'm like, I'm, I'm not doing that. Am I bad? Is that like, am I behind the time? So like, I don't want to feel worse when I talk to my network, <laughs> especially I have enough of that <laughs> in the office, right? The FOMO in the community is real. Yeah. The FOMO is real. It absolutely is. I'm a bad example uh, of it. But I do know that when I reach out to folks, the level of engagement and support is real. And I'm so appreciative of that. And I believe that when people do reach out to me that I try and do the same for them as well. Uh, so that's all, that's all you can do. JT, the, the loneliness of this job is real. How important is the relationship with your founder to your own kind of sense of, you know, camaraderie? And when, when it goes off the rails, which let's be honest, it always does at some point, it goes up and down. How do you get it back? Well, um, I, I may have a lonely job, but he has a lonelier job. Okay. Uh, and uh, we... Uh, I think that you one you have to build trust uh, in order to share some vulnerability and some um, humbleness and and uh, honesty uh, that takes some time uh, and so eventually we can get to a place and I've gotten there with everyone some just different a different dance um, stepping on toes maybe a little bit longer and all that kind of stuff but we eventually figure those things out. You can tell when there's a bad day, you know, they're in a lonely place too. Um, but there also has to be uh, trust because, you know, if they're sharing things, you know, can you go to the board? Will you go to the board with that? Uh, you know, how vulnerable can I, I, I demonstrate uh, to you? Because you might be asked someday and then you have to reveal. Um, or what are you going to reveal? Uh, so, uh, it's, it's a balance. Um, it's a personal choice. Um, but flow is really important. Uh, we don't have to be best of friends. We don't have to be going to each other's house for dinners and our husbands and wives getting together and all that kind of stuff, but flow around the business and transparency around the business is really important and very critical to be successful in your job. Has there been a case where the relationship between you and the CEO didn't work? And how did you know? I knew two weeks into a job, I was like, oh, um, just uh, values were not aligned. Um, but I also felt like, wait, I, I got to give this a chance. Like, I, I have to see there's a purpose here. As, like, I, maybe I have to learn something new from this. And uh, I stayed for three years. Um uh, at that job. Holy shit, uh, JT. I did. I did. Um, but it was, it was tough. It was, it, it did not, it did. I wish that we could have hugged each other before, um, I, I left and it didn't work out that way. You know, time passes, you realize there was a lot of really good things that came out of that relationship. There was a lot of things that together we accomplished, even if it was not a fulfilling relationship at a, a personal level where you felt the things that you needed. And um, not that we like a oh, oh, whole oh, laugh and connect or anything like that now or anything like that, but there is just more, it's settled. 
time passes and it's settled. Um, but in, if I had to do it all over again, I would have listened to my gut. I'm going to tell you that is I like, and I, you like, I, I didn't, I just like, no, I'm, I, I made this commitment. I should stick with this commitment. Uh, but I, life is too short to, to, to do those things now. So you just got to, so in that case, I was not courageous, um, enough to make that change. What have you, what have you learned JT or changed maybe within a 10 year span, right? Symphony AI versus maybe a company 10 years ago, as far as how you interview a company to decide when to join them. Did you, have you learned any, any tidbits for the audience on that? Because it's a thing. Yeah. That's so funny because, um, there was this one time I was interviewing in this, uh, the CEO guy said, uh, the CEO uh, said to me, man, you're really grilling me about like my, you know, my style and my relationship. And he's like, are you coming off of a bad relationship? And I was, I was just coming off of that, that relationship that I was just sharing with you guys. I'm like, oh my God, is it that obvious? <laughs> like, I'm over-rotating. I over-rotated. Yes. But it's really important. And in particular, when you become the head of HR, that flow, that trust, that, um, that camaraderie, uh, those values are extremely important. And, um, uh, and there are also things that you have to make your list of. What am I looking for out of the next assignment here? And for me, going back from venture into an operating role, it was um, I wanted to get in, I wanted an IPO and I wanted the big leagues of um, a leader who made big decisions, was extremely strategic uh, um, and no disrespect to Silicon Valley, but I wanted somebody who was a mature adult versus, you know, a younger uh, product entrepreneur who was backed by amazing venture, um, but didn't really know how to strategically be thinking bigger and had many people around them to help. But I wanted that gravitas. So sometimes you have to think about what are the things that you're looking for and that you're missing from your toolkit that you want to get that experience around. And then you can tailor your you know, search and your interview questions around those things. I love it. I love it. So many people just take the companies as they're, they're coming versus applying those types of filters being thoughtful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you done any work trials with companies to try and de-risk? Uh, well, Nolan, you know, now that's a, a hip thing to do, but back in my day, nope. What well, didn't have I didn't do those things. I guess maybe you could say that in some ways, because if you look at my experience, yes, I have amazing brands, but I've also moved on. Um, I have moved on to a variety of different companies uh to learn. Uh, different industries to learn different life cycles. Uh, you know, so always a creature of learning and wanting to build out my skill set and experiences and my network uh, in in different industries and all that stuff. So, um, in some ways, I guess you can say I was doing it, um, but not officially. So I actually I have a strong take that the future of executive interviewing is going to be trying before you buy because it's best for both sides. Right. Or, or you work with the same person for 20 years, right? We see pairs totally. kind of going from company to company because they know. 
Right. I mean, I, I have to admit, I have um, a great crew that has been with me at Salesforce, Living Social, um, Rocket Fuel, uh, Lithium. These are all the companies, uh, Electronic Arts. They're all here. Um, and I'm honored that they actually want to continue working with me because I, I definitely have given them, you know, a run for their money around some of these companies. But uh that's, that is really helpful, uh, is to have the people that you can work with. So I can say I've worked with them for 20 years, just not at the same company, for sure. Uh, but we have worked together. Yep. We have the same yep. thing here. Hendo. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're going to get to the, the questions that we ask everybody. I actually want to ask you, uh, who was your best hire and why? Who's my best hire? I have my CFO right now who's doing a dance outside my office. Um, he's, he's, he's incredible. I'm sorry. And he's in the corner there. He's going like this and he's jump going by like this. <laughs> he's the best right. hire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Who's my best hire? Who's my best hire? I can't say a person and I can't say a position. I, I, it, it, it doesn't resonate for me to say, Oh, this immediate thing. Um, it, it's more of, uh, I have hired rock stars in positions at that, um, or, and just rock stars in general. And then sometimes those rock stars don't work out for the company, but they're still rock stars. I think about, uh, the cultural fit. I think about their resilience. I think about, um, what they need to learn. And am I going to be able to provide that from them based on what I know of them and what they've developed already? You know, so it's like a little puzzle that you're trying to put together as to all those things. So, yeah. What's your secret weapon in the candidate experience? There's something around Jeeps that we heard of that you used to do. <laughs> Oh my God. Yes. I don't know, Kel, if you remember that, but that was, and we had like the bus with the big brain. Like we were uh, like, so couches like, outside. I oh, actually don't know so about this. So please fun. educate me. That was a good so life. Good life. Oh yeah. Yeah. Who that was like, that was great. That was great training ground for oh. a lot of things. Libby Sartain did an amazing oh. job. And um, what a community and, that's still out there. It is. It's a very strong community. So there's something around candidate experience or recruiting and Jeeps. Like, what is the deal with the Jeeps thing? The Jeeps was just like, all right, if you're going to put now, Jeeps are more expensive these days. But if you were to do a $15,000 sign on, why not offer them a Jeep? Because that's unique and different instead of $15,000. Holy shit. Right? That's all it was. I don't know when they were 15 grand. I've only owned Jeeps since I was Yeah, 16. what are we are talking? They, are they used? Is this, is this, this like a compass? lease? <laughs> no, like this is this was the ones that Toys R Us at the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I know the Jeeps are now really expensive. Like that's a nice sign-on bonus for yeah, sure. Right, to sell mine. Like my friend um that works at Tesla, uh she got a, a Tesla as a sign-on bonus, right? Um you know, so I I think that they're one you're you're involved in the product, uh, to what a great story to share. Um, you know, so there's always creative ways for, um, creating, um, marketing campaigns that go viral. And if there's, I remember when I got recruited for Yahoo, they flew me out and they knew that I liked hiking. Uh, and, uh, when they flew me out, they said, Oh, you know, you and your husband can go and stay at the um, the Awani or the Albany, uh, which is in Yosemite. 
right? Uh, like, hello, they just closed me at that right there. And my husband's like, they're paying for us to stay here and have a dinner and overnight. I'm like, yeah, you know, and it was all of like 500 bucks, right? That, that they spent, but it created such a memory for, for me and my husband of like, wow, they really want you. And they actually knew what you liked. The, 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 um, other memorable thing that I remember from the Yahoo days was something that a leader did uh, for me where I was saying, oh, I'm going on a mountain biking trip in Downeyville and all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's great. He called around to all the hotels to see where I was staying, found the hotel we were staying, and then comped us. Now, the rooms were 70 bucks a night, so it was like really cheap, but it was the thought that counted. Uh, And so those are the things that you create, like those moments of personalization you remember it 20 years later. Personalization and surprise and delight are such powerful levers. Surprise and delight was one of the values at Living Social. Uh, and that is one of the ones that I still use today. Yep. Personalization and surprise and delight. You got it. Yeah. I love that. Okay. What about your favorite interview question that gets you the best signal on candidates? My favorite interview question to get the signal, I would say, oh, wait, so I just got to tell you, the GC is now walking by. So there's this thing going on here. Okay. (laughs) I love that. You have a great team. If they can give you shit like that, I live for those moments. I'm ready to come over. This is what he's doing right now. So he's going like this. Right. That's called the sprinkler. Yeah, the sprinkler, right? And um, uh, so usually when the guys dance and, and, and there's the CIO, the CFO, the CLO. So I'm expecting the CIO to come by shortly as well. And they know I'm recording. And that's the thing that is killing me, that they're doing this on purpose. Um, uh, but yeah, so- Hazing and, is still fine in the workplace okay, from where I stand. Just no violence, just no violence. Yeah, yeah, just like casual ribbing. So the question of what do I get candidates on is, um, I don't think it's a specific question, but I like to ask questions that are about like in the range of things. So, you know, are you in the range of like, are you more commercially oriented? Are you more product oriented? Are you like, you know, are you this, are you that? So I'm trying to narrow things down to get to a point where I'm, I'm truly understanding how, like where they index and it, obviously asking a little bit more questions as to why and what makes you think that and all that kind of stuff. But, um, uh, the, I think that the, you know, when, when I'm narrowing it down, I, uh, you know, one of the questions that I do ask is, um, uh, I give, uh, the reality is a symphony, um, and say, is this something that you can be, uh, successful in. Um, and, uh, and of course everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they might say, oh yeah, yeah, initially. But I, I put them on the spot of like, here is the realities of this. And I have had candidates say, you know what? No, that's actually not for me. And I said, I, I, that's right. I don't think it is actually for you. Um, and they come to those own inclusion conclusions instead of me having to tell them that. Um, so, uh, it's not one question. It's just like more of an approach to narrow things down, get them to a point where I can, you know, share more about what we're about to then let them reveal if they're leaning in or if this isn't for them. Let candidates opt in or opt out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And I have found that uh, a lot of the candidates, um, they appreciate the candidness. They appreciate the, um, you know, that we're not selling um, that, you know, like, and like this, let's be real. Like, this is a real thing that's going on here. So like, if you're going to do it, you gotta be like really in on this. Um, so I think that is, it's not an aha, but it's definitely a signal. And also when I am like kind of telling them that they're not, it, you know, this may not be the right thing for them and they're not getting it. That's also another signal, right? Different, but helpful. Different, but helpful. That's right. It's important. It's important. Yeah. So Jen, uh, we're going to put a wrap on this thing, but is there anything else that you want to shout out or discuss before we put a bow on it? No, I just think, uh, well, okay. Yes. Chief people officers are going to have to deal with AI. It's, it is here. It is here to stay. It is going to be disruptive and, um, you have to embrace it. Uh, and, uh, it is actually something that, can help human resources from the standpoint of right now, in particular with the vision of HR being so administrative and compliance oriented and all those kind of things of when you are leveraging AI to help you with automation or with data aggregation and signals, it is giving you more time to think, to be more relational. And so I actually think AI will help elevate human resources to bring the human back into it um, a bit more um, so that that is the competitive differentiation is your relationship versus just all the data and the compliance piece. So um, embrace AI, um, uh, not because I have it in our name, you know, Symphony has it in their name, but it is here to stay. We've got to figure it out. Uh, and the cycle times of going from one, three, and five years around planning, it's now one month, three months, one year, you know, and even one year is to me a long time when we're thinking about the innovation that is occurring on a regular basis around this all. Uh, so that would be some of my parting words is uh, to my colleagues out there is get on with it and embrace it. It's, and it's a beautiful, it's beautiful tech um, that uh, can really make an amazing experience for employees and to elevate our games. You have to be digitally native. And today's thing is AI and we have to use it every day. I'm actually curious, JT, how are you using AI and are you using it every day? I use it every day. Uh, I am with uh, ChatGPT um, and a lot of the different plugins, um, like when we're consolidating 27 employee handbooks into one unified handbook. ChatGPT does it for us instead of an intern that we have to pay for all summer, right? Um, it is uh, for quick connections around benchmarks or um, approaches to things. It helps you with getting you a draft that you could spend a couple of hours on that it gets you a draft in a couple of minutes to just get your thoughts down. Um, we do have it embedded in uh, some of our, our our applications that we have in our tech stack as well. Um uh, we also are doing uh, a program called Everyone Can AI. So it, this is not for engineers. This is for everybody at the company. 
we all have to be eating, breathing, drinking. DNA is AI. And so all of us have to figure out how to incorporate this into our job. And I just started a thing in HR called Hack Your Job. It's not a hackathon, it's Hack Your Job. And how are you hacking your job with AI so that you can do more strategic relational things than dealing with spreadsheets or um, reporting and, and, uh, or that can do an analysis that uh, gives you, again, the starting point. You still have to own the data, own your own deliverable and that narrative. But um, how, do, how do, can we increase our velocity and our value add in a different way? A common reaction, right, is AI is going to replace me. AI is going to take my job. You're talking about something quite different, actually making it more enjoyable and easier. Yeah. It, and and will there be jobs eliminated? Sure. But there's also going to be jobs created. You know, the World Economic Forum has said 85 million jobs are going to be impacted by AI, but 95 million are going to be created because of it. Um, and those jobs, we don't even know what they are yet that are going to be out there. So that's why everyone at Ken AI, let's all embrace it, in particular human resources. You got to stay with it, not only for your function, but also for your workforce strategy. For sure. I love that, JT. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you, guys. Take care. HR Heretics is a podcast from Turpentine, the network behind Econ 102, Moment of Zen, and Turpentine VC. Subscribe, five stars, share it on Apple, YouTube, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, all the things.